Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Good morning, everyone. It's Mickey here, and you are listening to Wikipedia. And this week on the podcast, I speak to Jeff Peltier, an ultra-distance trail runner and filmmaker, member of Team Sullivan Canada, and a prolific content creator that showcases run training and competing, bringing to life his adventures in a way that inspires over 50,000 people that are subscribed to his YouTube channel. Such an inspiration. As I've said before, Jeff really helped keep us motivated uh, across 2021 when we were unable to go out and do those trails. So Jeff and I discuss his introduction to running, what inspired him to turn his channel into an avenue that is interesting, educational and inspirational, the races and adventures he's enjoyed the most, how he organises himself for the longer distance events, including his training, his strength training and nutrition, his recent UTMB race, and what he's got coming up in the next year. That includes a couple of tour adventures, a hike in March Patagonia, and of course, the Mont Blanc Trail as a fast pack in August 2022. And I believe there are still spots available to that. As I said, Jeff, he runs a video production agency and also produces running films and documentaries for brands, as well as, of course, his own YouTube channel. Highly recommend checking out that YouTube channel. We have a link in the show notes to that. And also all of his information, which you can find over at jeffpeltier.com. So be sure to check out the links in the show notes for that. It is just awesome. Before we jump on into the interview though, I'd just like to remind you the best way that you can support Wikipedia is to hit subscribe at your favorite podcast platform and then leave a five-star review. So the people that I am privileged enough to engage with and get information from can be shared much wider than they would otherwise. So that would just be amazing if you could do that. All right, team, please enjoy the conversation that I had with Jeff Peltier. Um, of course, we've got the Tarawera race, but also uh, all the great walks as well that you guys right. could fast pack. Right, for sure. Yeah, yeah be amazing. Um, so Jeff Peltier, uh, thank you so much for taking time to chat to me this morning and um, I have to say I think it was probably about a year ago that we came across your YouTube channel and mm -hmm. we were in the midst of our very long lockdown and it was like this little beacon of light of look at all the things that we could be doing and that you guys were out there with your stage racing and your um, race reports and stuff like that so it was such good motivation and inspiration. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, that was, um, you know, it was actually funny because during the lockdown is when I sort of really kind of ramped up activity on my channel. It happened that I had a bunch of things kind of in the can ready to edit. So I think it was a good opportunity as well for me to sort of reprioritize and think about what's important to me. And a big part of that is travel. So coming out of it now, I've really been able to uh, capitalize on that and do a lot of traveling and, and again, kind of help me to focus on on what's really important to me. Yeah, interesting. So you, like I was having a look at your website, Jeff, and you um, you were blogging since what, was it 2013 or like for several years before you started sort of uh, your, I suppose, uh, focusing much more on your YouTube channel, or at least that's how it appeared. But you sort of describe yourself as a late bloomer when it comes to running per se. Yeah, I mean, I started running when I turned 20, uh, 27, I think it was. And I remember I had read somewhere that um, 27 is supposed to be sort of your peak fitness as a, as a guy. And, you know, that's, uh, um, I didn't feel like I was at the peak of much at the time. And it just happened that uh, a good friend of mine was, was training for a marathon. And he ended up hurting his back. And he said, Hey, I've got this book by Hal Higdon, how to run your first marathon. Do you want it? And I thought, Hey, well, if you can do it, maybe I can. And so I trained for my first marathon. I did a half marathon first, and then a marathon and kind of got the running bug. And the rest is history. I, I did a bunch of road races and about three, three and a half years into my running journey. So right as I turned May 30, I, I found trail running and eventually longer distance races as well. Yeah. And so Jeff, you're, um, you have a video production agency, as I yeah. understand it. So one of the things actually we were wondering, so when I say we, me and my husband Baz, who is a, you know, he loves trail running and loves video editing and, and stuff like that as well. And we were trying to figure out what had come first. Was it your videoing or was it your running? But clearly that's your sort of career or profession. Um, what inspired you to start sort of taking that leap into um combining the two, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, as you mentioned, I had been kind of blogging for a while. Um, and uh, that was sort of as I started my running journey. And pretty early on, I became an athlete ambassador working with Solomon, sort of at the store level, working with one of our local Solomon store. And um, so part of that was I would do race reports, trip reports and things like that, just the odd blog post. Um, and uh, then, you know, Instagram popped up and a lot of people kind of stopped blogging and started just using Instagram instead to tell stories and document their kind of training and, and racing. Um, I kind of did the same. But I've been a professional, a video producer, running a, a video production agency my entire life, basically, my entire working career. Um, so at some point, I started kind of filming my running as well. Um, I, I published a couple of films of a couple of hikes some treks and things early on. So my, my channel, my YouTube channel has a few older films on there. Uh, one from Nepal, for example, from about 10 years ago, but I didn't really start to feel like, um, uh, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of work to make these videos. And so it was really, it was kind of after my first big race, my first 200 mile race, Tour de Gion in the Italian Alps, I, I brought my GoPro and I, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with that, but then I decided kind of during the race, hey, this I'm capturing lots of great footage here. Maybe I'll make this into a documentary. So when I got home, I edited it and I did a voiceover and things. And that film kind of took off. I mean, it's got about, I think, 350,000 views now, but it really even initially got a lot of momentum because it happens to be one of the biggest races in the world. It's 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 one of the more popular ones. And um, I was able to tell a, an engaging story. You know, I was 
it's a very long race. You get very tired. But I think one of the things that I do well is I'm able to film when I'm tired because yes. it does come naturally to me. It's I can think about coverage and angles and shots uh, sort of as a second nature. And then so that was kind of coming out of, um, uh, you know, I took a while to edit that. So it was sort of in 2020 that I thought, huh, maybe I can keep doing this. Right. So my yeah. next race was another Turner Miler. I filmed it again. And with each film, I was able to build my audience. So it kind of happened naturally and then all at once. It happened slowly and then all at once. I kind of, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't decide one day to start a YouTube channel. I sort of had a place where I would publish the odd video. And then somewhere, like I was saying at the beginning, it was somewhere during the pandemic where I decided like, no, no, this is actually, now I'm going to really invest time and energy yeah. into this and money into buying new equipment. And, and I'm really going to give this YouTube thing a go. So that was only in the last couple of years, really. Um, but I had the skill set. I had, I didn't have to learn how to film, learn how to edit. I, I've only been working on the craft as it specifically relates to YouTube, how to tell stories on YouTube. That's a little bit different. Um, the only other thing I would say that changed a little bit over the years is that, you know, GoPros, the cameras I typically use when I'm running, they've gotten to a point now where the quality is quite good. Yeah. And that only happened a few years ago as well. So, I mean, if we rewind back to 2013, say, when I first kind of started running, the cameras were pretty bad. And so I don't think I would have been inspired to really do a lot of filming at the time. So the timing just happened to line up as well, where the gear it's light, it's high quality, and it's it's uh, it lends itself well to outdoor adventure filmmaking. Yeah, amazing. Actually, slight tangent, but when I did my first um, sort of big run around, there's a trail here in New Zealand called the Waikato Moana, and so it's a okay. it's a hike. And so I was running with a mate, and he worked for the Department of Conservation at the time. And he had this massive backpack on. And I'm like, oh, what's in that? And he's like, it's a GPS. So what we can do is we can like stop. So we had to stop every like 10 kilometers and he would put down his uh, backpack and it was massive. And he yeah. would be able to uh, trace where we had come from, um, which is quite a bit different from the watch that probably course, you and I yeah. are both <laughs> both wearing now. Yeah. But it's, it's come a long yeah, way. Can, yeah. It's come a long way in a particularly short period of time. Um, mm -hmm. Were you surprised, Jeff, by the interest in your, I suppose, the level of engagement that you have gotten with your YouTube channel? Like it's like I always wonder that how people, so you're not an overnight success by any stretch of the imagination, because as you say, you've got years of experience, but were you surprised by the interest in how people just really sort of like us over the other side of the world um, started engaging with you in your YouTube channel and then of course come across you on Instagram and then suddenly you've got this mm -hmm. audience was was that, I mean, I guess it was your intention, but is it a surprise to you thinking? Well, no, no, definitely. It has been, it's been a pleasant surprise, especially recently this year, I've been experimenting with a new series called my, my training yes. diaries, where it's a weekly series. And I was hesitant at first because I'm thinking, who am I to, to tell my story? I mean, it's one thing documenting a race. A lot of people might want to do that race. So they're sort of looking for intel and um, some of these places are quite beautiful, but who am I to be doing a weekly video vlog, Right. And um, it turned out that that's getting a lot of good engagement because I think people don't necessarily want to hear from just the outliers, the fastest mm. runners. Um, they they can learn from, you know, I wouldn't call myself a mid packer, but sort of a, you know, top 10 percentile runner, like where uh, my approach to training is something anybody can do. 
and it's more accessible. And I've only been running for 10 years, so I don't have an athletic background. Um, so I think maybe my, the lesson there I learned is that I can, I have a lot to teach as well and people can learn from me as well. And, um, and it's more about doing that on a regular basis, being consistent and kind of showing up. Um, and also trying to, um, you know, I do focus on quality so yeah. that, you know, I, I, I try to, um, uh, respect the, uh, my audience's time and try to try to be concise and script everything and plan everything. And I think people respond well to that. Um, but the other thing I learned early on too, is that, you know, again, I would do these films from races and then people would say, well, now I want to know how you trained for that. How, what kind of gear did you use? What kind of shoes do you use? And so it became, uh, a lot of that stuff was in response to the questions people were asking. So it's not like I went out there saying, I'm here to teach you something. It's I've made these films and now I'm here to just answer all the questions I keep yeah. getting. So clearly people wanted to hear about those things from me. And again, I think I had to sort of um, get over my imposter syndrome a little bit to, to be able to uh, take that on, to, to, to become sort of a teacher. And I, I am careful though, to, to, when I make my content to not say, this is how you should do it. All I say is, this is how yeah. I do it. This is my approach to nutrition, to training, take it or leave it. All I'm here to do is tell you what's worked yeah. for me. Yeah, no. And I agree with you. Um, uh, with, well, first in that I think people do love hearing from other runners who are either at their level or at slightly above, because we can almost relate better to the challenges that you come across and the experiences that you have, because we can't really compare ourselves to the Killian Journey or Courtney DeWalter or, no. you know, because they... Nor no, should we. No, nor, nor should we. It's dangerous <laughs> exactly, to do that. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel similarly with regards to your ability to attract sponsors and, and things like that, because I feel like companies are now much more aware of the fact that that whilst they can sponsor and, and should support those who are the elite in our sport, um, actually mm -hmm. supporting other people who have the same passion, have but like put in a lot of the same time and actually are yeah. able to represent probably the their greater audience more, like makes more marketing sense for them as well, I guess. Yeah. And well, and I think there's something else going on too, which, I mean, this, this could be a whole hour long conversation. I, I have a video about this too, which is the, you know, what sponsors are really looking for in athlete ambassadors these days. It's really shifted. Uh, Cause there was a time when they just wanted the fastest athletes to show up and win. They wanted the Wayne Gretzky's, the Michael Jordans, and then there'd be all this free press that would come from that. But that's obviously shifted now with social media, where as an ambassador, you're the athlete or the model, you're the, the, the writer, the strategist from the content perspective, you're the photographer, yeah. you're the publisher, you're all of those things. And so the value is less about how you're performing, it's how your content is performing. And whether you're winning races or not is sort of secondary to that. Um, so so you're, you're, you're really a content creator first and an athlete second in that sense. So, um, as a content creator, I think I am able to, you know, make content that, that resonates and it holds, you know, it's longer form content. I'm, I'm, I'm not on TikTok. That's not, you know, I find it hard to tell a story in 30 seconds, but I can tell a good story in 30 mm. minutes. And I think it becomes, um, you can create a long, uh, more emotional, uh, relationship with people. It's, they're more engaged. And, um, and, and with that, I've been able to, work with sponsors almost when I, when I do proposals, for example, I'll 
I sell the deliverable. Yeah. I'll say, I'm going to this race and making a film about this race, and here's how long it will be. And so they're sponsoring the project as much as me as an athlete. And that's sort of how my relationships with my my sponsors has evolved. And it's been a win-win, yeah. I think, and, and will continue to hopefully be as my channel yeah. grows. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I saw that, and I think that's the one, that might be one video, have we watched that one that might be the one we actually haven't watched we've watched basically most of it when we came across your channel it was like i'm a reader and when i come across an author and i know that they've i've seen that they've like uh written 17 books i'm so excited which is how yeah, we felt about yeah. your channel when we came across it last year oh i appreciate that thanks or it's, it's like coming across a new band and you realize oh my god they have a back catalog of 10 <laughs> yeah. albums like this is a treasure trove yeah. right so no i appreciate that that is my goal as well with my content where i always try to make my content evergreen which in a marketing sense means that it's not dated it's not you know so i try to avoid reviews or you know i do the odd review and the odd video that that could become dated but i want i want that to be the case i want somebody to discover one video and go what else does this guy have on his channel and be able to just binge video after video as opposed to going you know well that's I'll have to wait till next week because there's nothing else for me, to, nothing else to see here. There's no other value. Um, and in that way, too, it's been exciting. It's been fun because I feel like I'm building a portfolio, like I'm building a, um, a, a body of work that can sort of last hopefully for years online as long as YouTube's around. And, and if not, maybe I can publish it elsewhere one day. Yeah, awesome. Now, you're, you mentioned your training diaries. And um, again, I'm one of those people who were so stoked when you started doing them, just because it is so interesting to get. Um, I think people love the connection or the human connection that you can get through uh, YouTube, social media and that kind of thing. So to see how you go about your sort of how you do it on a weekly basis, even though a lot of the time mm -hmm. you report the same, you know, you're doing a lot of the same things, but we're yeah. still there for it because you've, it's little side stories that you tell of your weekend sort of runs or the pizza that you eat afterwards or the beer that you're drinking at the time, you know, like it's all of that stuff yeah. that we quite like um, engaging with. And of course, catching up with what, how Audrey's training is going. Right. That's always, yeah. always something I enjoy um, uh, tuning into as well. Um, Jeff, the most recent, oh no, actually, just before we move on to your actual running, because I really want to chat to you about that. Um, mm -hmm. How long does it take for you to edit your sort of usual training diaries or, um, yeah. yeah, that one first? Yeah, I mean, the training diaries, and it's funny, I'm actually just today, I've been working on this, uh, the, my last episode, episode 26, which is a behind the scenes look at how I make those videos. So it's going to walk everybody through that. Um, I, um, uh, those videos, my goal initially was to try to turn them around quickly. So I set myself this weekly cadence. It's not always publishing on a Tuesday. You know, this week's going to be a few days late. And I think I did miss one week when I was racing this year. Maybe there was two, two. Anyway, it's roughly every week. And that, that forces me to be fairly efficient, um, and to have a fairly standardized format for the videos. So some weeks I go off of that format. It takes a little bit longer. Other weeks it's a little, it's a little quicker. But generally, I'm sort of scripting, I'm, I'm ideating, I'm collecting ideas throughout the week and throughout the year. And then when I sit down to script, it's a couple of hours, depending on how much research I need to do. Some are quicker than others. Um, I'll film, that takes about an hour. 
and then I'll edit, which can take anywhere from about four hours to maybe two days, because sometimes I'm editing a lot of B-roll. Um, but roughly, uh, you know, I can make an episode, I would say, on average from start to finish in about eight hours. That's sort of the, the, the turnaround there. My films are a different stories. So some of my films I'll spend anywhere from 40 to maybe 100 hours. Um, my Racing Namibia series, for example, is two and a half hours of content. I didn't, I wish I would attract it. I think when I tried to estimate it, I estimated somewhere like 150 hours of work on that series, possibly more. Yeah. And that's excluding the filming, of course. That's just the, just the post-production. Um, so some of these films take quite a bit of time. So, I mean, right now I have probably, I don't know, 300 hours of work backlogged that I have to get through this fall, just in editing alone from the content that I, that I shot this summer. Yeah. Yeah. And on that, I imagine a large part of that will be the UTMB that you've just completed. How's your recovery yeah. going? Recovery is good. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks now. I probably overcompensated on the recovery. I haven't been doing as much active recovery as I should be. Um, I've just done a couple of short runs. Um, but I didn't really take much recovery time after my first race of the year in the country of Georgia. Yes. I kind of had to go right into my training for UTMB. So I've sort of just, I wanted to give myself a week or two just to not think about running. And, and I've done that now and I'm, st I'm starting to ramp back up a little bit. Uh, recovery has been great though. It's It's mostly... After a hundred mile run, I find it's not my legs. My legs, I can go for a run in two days because you're not always running a lot. It's a lot of hiking yeah. in those races. But what happens is you'll go, you'll start running and feel, go, oh, I feel good. Like my legs feel good. And then 25 minutes in, the fatigue just hits you. Like it just washes over you. So you really have to be careful. It's that fatigue. It's all of your other systems, your organs. I mean, everything that's been, that have been taxed. Yeah. That's really what, what I, I, I'm personally letting recover as well as my mind, as I said, because I don't want to burn out. So my legs were fine. They were good to go a week ago. But now finally, I think my mind is also ready to get back to training. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've been waiting for here. Yeah, and that's such an important point as well because when you come off a race, be it that you get the result that you were expecting or it's you know different, it's your motivation to get back out there. It um, we, when you're really spent, that can take some time to sort of build back. So if you go back too quickly, you're right, you can get that yeah. burnout. But sometimes the enthusiasm coming off a really great race, you almost want to get back out the next week and start training for the next. Thing. So it's yeah. knowing how to rein that in. And we always joke, I mean, in, in North America, there's a website called ultrasignup.com, which is the main search and registration website for races. Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't think it's international. I think it's just North America. And um, we always joke like there should be like a 48 hour period where you're <laughs> locked out of the website following a race. It's like, yeah. you're right. You come back and you go, oh, I want to jump back into the next one. You're so enthusiastic about it. You're on a bit of a high. And then some people even experience a bit of a, I don't know, it's like a postpartum, like a depression after because you've, yes. you've lost this goal. You had this massive goal, singular focus for a lot of us, and it's gone. Yeah. And so it, it can be tempting to set a new goal right away just to have something to train for. And I think that does, that is important to eventually do. But for me, it's not just even the psychological burnout and things. It's the fact that, you know, when you're training, especially for these really long races, you're sacrificing a lot. Like you really are focusing on, and, and what I mean is you're sacrificing social relationships, seeing your family things that sh that are important but 
you've kind of put off. And so for me, it's like right after a race, I'm calling all my friends I haven't seen in a while and saying, let's go for beers. Like, you know, I'm free. Like, I don't have to think about my, my nutrition. I can, you know, um, like my, my family, like I over correct and try to say, let's go, you know, let's get together with my parents more than I did before. Uh, cause that's a great couple of weeks where I can just do nothing but social socialize. Right. Um, whereas again, it's tough to do that when you're getting up at 5am the next day for a, for a training run. So I think it's, I think it's important to, like I said, like shift and just forget about running for a couple of weeks after something like a hundred mile race and refocus on what's important. Um, that would be especially important for people who have kids. I mean, that's Audrey and I don't have kids, so it's really more, it's more about seeing my parents and some of my good friends. Um, and I should say some of my friends who aren't runners, Yes, it's very easy to end up being in a, where you realize, huh, I only ever hang out with my running friends. And of course, you know, we all have relationships outside of running as well that need to be nurtured. So Yeah, nice. And um, now you mentioned music just um, in one of our, uh, just earlier in the call. And I did see on your website, you mentioned that you played music. Now, are you playing music because you enjoy listening to music? Are you actually playing music like as one of your interests? Yeah, I'm a musician. I've been playing guitar since I was like ah. 10. So yeah, I play I play a lot of guitar, classical guitar and uh, different styles. So uh, when I have time, again, I've been playing a lot in the last couple of weeks because yeah, yeah. I didn't play a lot over the summer. I didn't have a, I didn't even have a guitar for three months. I was traveling. So so I've been overcorrecting there and spending about two, three hours a day playing, which is really fun. Oh, amazing. And uh, yeah. uh, favorite bands, Jeff? Um, I, 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 tough to say. I mean, I listen to... Um, I like like a lot of progressive rock. I like yeah. um, like a lot of punk rock and uh, some death metal and like different things. Oh yeah, a lot of kind of folk music. Like yeah, kind of all over the map. So yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. So I just tangented it off. Um, and actually, interesting what you say about having that um, psychological sort of break from running, which might be a bit more challenging for someone like you, who then you need to sort of focus your attention on editing of all of the running that you've been doing like a little bit harder yeah yeah that's exactly it i'm not i'm not truly taking a break from running as a sport it's more just from the physical act of running so yeah i'm definitely you know obviously right now in doing all this editing i'm reliving my racing and my and my my adventures from from the summer so yeah, yeah yeah do you find you can get a bit of reflection when you do that so i mean obviously you've just finished the utmb um yeah are you like looking back at some of what you've been doing and, and reflecting on how you could have done things differently or might have might do things differently next time? Is this a good opportunity to do that or? Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, especially when I'm making a film about it and I'm basically scripting a commentary, like I really am shaping the story, you know, and, um, it forces me to think like, yeah, did I have a good race and wh what would I do differently? And what's my, you know, what's, what's my angle, right? Am I, is this a, uh, am I telling the story of success or is there, you know, was there a turning point? Like I'm, I am, you know, as much as documentaries are, um, truthful they're not about truth telling they're storytelling yeah. so sometimes you shape things or you exclude certain things because they're sort of you know um you might not have enough footage or it might be just not important to the overall story and then other times you embellish some aspects of it because you want to create sort of a bit of drama and so it does force me during that process to really to really think hard about the race um but i tend to do that anyway I, i'm pretty analytical mm. so i mean i'm 
I'm analyzing my race like like most of us do as it's happening and as soon as it's done and I and I do uh, you know UTMB was a good example of that where I, I've kind of said in a couple of my recaps like I didn't feel like I had a great race yeah but it went pretty well like it went pretty well it wasn't bad um, I enjoyed it overall so I'd call it a success but I definitely there's a lot of things I would improve that was mainly around my training in retrospect and it took me a couple of days of sort of contemplation to arrive at that conclusion and to really formalize my, my thoughts around that but I think that's common for most people um, the filmmaking process does help to further um, crystallize that a little bit I guess yeah was that your second time of doing UTMB am I right no, that's my first time actually racing UTMB. We had done the route. Okay. So we had done the Tour de Mont Blanc a few weeks before. That's so right. it felt like we had done it before. It was very fresh. Both Audrey and I were kind of joking. It was almost too fresh. You knew every false summit coming up and every <laughs> climb. And, you know, I remembered a lot of the roots and rocks. And, oh, yeah, I remember what line I took coming down this. And um, so it, it was both good and bad to have done it so soon before yeah, and, the route. And did you enjoy then the time that you spent um, in Chamonix, but also around the area? prior because you were there for you you visited it came back you had a bit of a to and yeah from. and that was so that was the third time I was at the event at UTMB so I'd been in the area for t- twice before before other races so I sort of knew what to expect and it's a crazy week like it's insane it's so busy it's noisy it's hectic it's exciting but you have to be careful because if you're racing you have to make sure you find some some downtime in that in that excitement as well um, so yeah, we had, I mean, we were there the first week when we first arrived and then did the fast pack of the yeah. Tour de Mont Blanc of, of the route. And then of course we came back later in the month, a few days before the race UTMB, which does the same route, basically, um, both times we were in Chamonix and it was a completely different experience, you know, two weeks on, it felt like a totally different place and totally different energy. So, so it was kind of fun seeing the contrast. Uh, but it was also, I think, important that we did step away in the middle. We were able to relax and taper. And, you know, we had some work to do in between. We were working remotely uh, from Europe. And um, so it was nice that I think we didn't spend too much time around all that excitement because it can, you know, it's kind of like when you go to any race, you travel to, say, Chicago for the Chicago Marathon. And it's so tempting to explore the city. And, you know, you should be staying off your feet. Yeah. And so it's, you know, there's, there's a balance there. Um, when it comes to traveling for races where, you know, you want to take in a place. That's why you, that's why we do destination races to begin with, but you do have to make sure that you're sort of preparing for your race, both mentally and physically as well. Yeah. And you do a a range of races out over a range of distances, but is there something Mm -hmm. particular about the long events that you, that you like, like you just seem to have done like quite a few more, well, not quite a few more, but, um, quite a few of the, um, hundred mile, 200 mile races, uh, things like that. Is that, does there something particular about that, that you really enjoy? Well, yeah. And I can tell you how I got into ultra distance running in the first place. So I had done, um, you know, like I said, I, when I first started running my goals, it was a bucket list thing to run a marathon. I ended up running three, And with each one, I got a little bit faster, but we're talking maybe five, 10 minutes. And it got to a point where I thought, is this going to be my running career where every year I work, I train my butt off for six months to maybe shave off three minutes if everything goes exactly perfectly. So you get these diminishing returns with road running. And at the same time, I, at the, at this place I was training at, I met a guy who was training for a 50 mile, I believe it was at the time, ultra marathon. And he was telling me about these ultra marathons. And I thought, that's what you're telling me you run double as long. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and then he's like, well, if you, if you think that's far, you should hear about these hundred mile runs. And so he opened my eyes to what was possible, what, you know, what I could target instead of, 
instead of targeting, you know, can I shave four minutes off my marathon time? It's, can I run this distance at all? Can I even do, can I even run 50 miles or hundred miles? Um, and the variability of these different races means you're not comparing times. Every race is different. There's new challenges. There's weather, altitude, you know, elevation change. There's all these new variables to contend with. And it just sort of, it, it sort of renewed my, my interest in the sport and it became this whole new set of challenges. And so if you take that further, then logically at some point, the same thing happened to me, even with hundred milers, it's no longer a question of whether I can finish one. I mean, I've done a half dozen now. The question now is how quickly can I do it? You know, am I going to finish in 26 hours or 24 hours? And that's where the 200 milers come in because now it's, can I even do 200 miles or 220 in the case of, um, Swiss peaks, 360 K. Um, and so it's this new sort of can I, and then, and now it's, well, I can do that. So what's next, you know, uh, what about multi-day racing? That's a whole new set of challenges. You're carrying your own gear and food. And, you know, so it's, so it's always about kind of, I think, keeping it fresh, keeping it interesting. And that's, that's basically just, I think that will continue for me. Um, I've never, I've yet to find a distance that I can't finish. I've yet to DNF a race. I've yet to find where that limit is. And I do want to find that limit for myself. I don't know what that will be. Um, but Hopefully I can, you know, keep pushing myself until I discover that. Yeah, actually, it's um, that one of my questions was, have you ever DNF'd? Um, but I do understand that you did go off course on a race and end up taking on an extra 10 miles on a on a 120 yeah. mile race. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, that was one of my. Yeah, I ran 130 miles that time. Oh, yeah. um, but that was I think that, you know, actually, that was funny because with that race, it was that um, going that extra going off course really during that race, it. it it really helped me to refocus. And I had a new goal that time, which was now, now the challenge is even harder. And can I finish this 130 mile race? You get a lot of 120. So sometimes those challenges where in the moment it feels like disaster, you can turn them around and use them as motivation. Yeah. And so the motivation there was, well, can I come back from this mistake? And, and I, and I did. So it, it, you know, that was a good example of where ultra running is all about, um, and this is especially true the further you go. Yeah. It's about troubleshooting. It's about overcoming unforeseen challenges. And so we try to mitigate the risks. We try to set ourselves up for success. And we, we learn how to do that through experience. But there's never a race where you aren't solving problems in the moment. It can be problems with your feet, with your stomach, with the weather, going off course, um, you name it. And those kind of things don't happen in road running. Road running is about executing perfectly. So it's either you did it perfect or you didn't. You either hit your exact 432 per kilometer target or you didn't. There's none of this sort of like, you know, like in an ultra marathon where you can literally be at the back of the pack. I've seen this and make your way forward and win the race. I mean, this happens, right? So people can come back. We, we say, you know, if you feel good, wait an hour. If you feel bad, wait an hour. Um, a lot can happen in an hour, two hours, three hours. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's so I think that makes it more. It's less about pure athleticism. It's more about strategy and the mental fortitude and thinking your way through things. And for someone like me, this kind of goes back to your original question. I'm not a natural athlete. I have to really think my way through things. Yeah. And when it comes to sports, that's why I'm not great at like downhill skiing and mountain biking. I don't have that natural, those natural reflexes, but I'm really good at thinking my way through a hundred mile race or a 200 mile race where you're having to solve a dozen problems along the way and sort of fight the, the desire to stop along the way. 
And in the meantime, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. But that's about it when it comes to the physical aspect. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, right, is how I feel when I um, – because I, I often feel apprehensive. Even at the start of like a long training run, I'm like, oh, now I've got to go and run five hours. And I'm like, right, yeah. but actually in five hours, it'll be done. So I'll just have to, you know, be in the moment and enjoy it. And I think that's yeah. – for me, that has come with doing more of it, I think, as mm -hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I still, if I can just add one more thought mm. there, having said all of that, that's about my own strengths and weaknesses. I still don't think that the pursuit of distance for the sake of distance is necessarily the most noble thing. Yeah. I, I, I always like to say, I mean, I find it way more impressive if you can train for and execute a really well-run 10K or half marathon fast half marathon that's more impressive than sort of walking a 50k to the finish just so you can see you did it i mean a lot, a lot of what we're doing out there is really just hiking and taking photos and enjoying ourselves in the mountains um, the athletic challenge of properly training and running fast for those shorter distances to me is equally as impressive if not more so yeah yeah and and you know your training appeared to have quite a bit of um speed related stuff in it actually jeff yeah. um for yeah. a hundred mile a race and i guess everyone does things differently and you did mention that you've been reflecting on how you may have done UTMB a little bit differently and how your training sort of came into that um yeah what might you change going forward if you were to do UTMB again or for your next sort of miler yeah so it wasn't actually what I would do differently it's more just that my goal for UTMB didn't reflect where my what my training was yeah. so my time goal, I had set an arbitrary time goal of what wanted to run sub 30 hours. Um, and knowing what I know now about the course, my training did not reflect a 30 hour run. So the race is, you can't pull anything out of the hat. The race is just the last of your runs that you've done as part of your training. Yeah. I mean, you train, 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 taper, then you race, but it's all about the training that led up to it. It's about the plan and how well you executed the plan. And then on the day, that's just the last of the long runs, basically. There's nothing new or different. You know, it's, it's rare that you surprise yourself on race day. It's usually a reflection of your training. And my training did not reflect a 30-hour UTMB. I ran, I trained mostly leading up till June for my first race in Georgia. And that was a staged race where I was carrying a large pack. Most of my runs, I was carrying a large pack. But more importantly, most of my long runs were on very rolling or flat terrain because that's what Georgia was going to be. I then only had a couple of weeks to quickly recover and start training again. And really, I only had one block, one month of training for UTMB. Yeah. So I did one month of hill work and mountains. And I did some. I went to Colorado. And then we were in, in Europe. We did the TMB. So that one week on the Tour de Mont Blanc was amazing. But logically, if I was tar targeting the race, I would have done two or three, four months of that in a row. And that's what you would do for a 30-hour for me, at least, if I was, if I really was planning on on that fast of a TM, of a UTMB, I would have done four months of dedicated hill work and you know big days in the mountains, and and not done Georgia first. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it was a mistake doing it the way I did. I think the mistake was then not acknowledging that and setting my goal appropriately. So I did recalibrate about midway through the race where I was kind of doing some math and thinking like, uh-oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe 32 hours, then I'm out, maybe 34 hours. And, and I fortunately was able to get to a place where I was happy with that. And I was like, no, that's fine. I'm enjoying myself. My stomach feels good. I'm eating lots. I'm getting lots of great footage. I've met a lot of fun people and I'm passing all, I'm still passing people, making my way up towards the, you know, 
uh, further towards the front of the field anyway. And so I was able to finish feeling good about, about my performance, my execution, again, given where my training was. Yeah. Oh, no, that's a great explanation. And I've had a similar race. Um, we mentioned Tarawera at the start of the call. Mm-hmm. And I went in thinking, oh, this will be seven and a half hours. But then after walking for the first hour on a single track, and it was persisting down with rain the entire day, I very quickly went, oh, no, this will be 10. Okay, I'm good with yeah. that. But it is, it's that managing yeah. expectations, um, yeah. Yeah. even in the and moment. adjusting along the way, maybe, yeah. recalibrating. Yeah, yeah. I see this happen. Um, I mean, we all we all make this mistake where we, especially when we go back and do the same event, maybe years later. So maybe a lot of us ran a certain race, say, pre-COVID, and then now three years later, we're going back to do the same race. And we think, great, well, you know, last time I ran it in seven hours, this time I want to run it in six and a half. But you might forget that three years ago, you were younger, fitter, maybe your training just went better that season. And so you have to take those things into account. You can't just assume you're going to get faster every time you do the same race. And and I think sometimes people people lose track of that and then they think, "No, actually last time I did do a lot more training. I had a, you know, I didn't have kids at the time. I, did, I had a different job, whatever it might be." And so again, it's I think our, our our performance at a race really does just reflect our training. And um and that's just about doing the work, putting 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 the time in, yeah, and being smart about it. Being uh, trying to show up on, on race day healthy, not overtrained, but you know we we need to recognize when we show up undertrained that that's okay, but we need to adjust our expectations accordingly. Yeah, completely. And you mentioned that your nutrition went well on the UTMB. I ate a lot, um, so that's a success. Yeah. I think um, you know we we joke a lot like about ultra marathons being an eating contest. Killian said that himself on Twitter just after UTMB. Um, and, and what it, you know, you're not going to win a race by eating a lot, but you are going to have a horrible race by not eating enough. You can't finish 100 miles. You can't be on feet for 24 to 48 hours without taking in food, without calories. Um, you have to think about macronutrients as well, like protein and things, especially the longer you go. Um, of course, electrolytes and hydration. And uh, one thing I did well at this race was I ate a lot. And in fact, I was a little bit bloated at times where I'm like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll take a half hour off the off the food. But that's a good place to be. You can always you can always scale back the, the food intake. It's hard to catch up. Um, I ate a lot of the food at the aid stations. And then I also was supplementing with a, with a, a drink mix powder from a brand called NAC here in Canada. And uh, that actually had some protein and amino acids in it as well, which I think helped me as well, uh, especially with my recovery, actually. That helped me get a jump start on that recovery. Yeah. So I took in just a steady stream of calories from that. And then again, food from the aid stations. Um, and that's definitely one thing I think that helped with to avoid any serious low points, um, you know. I didn't really have any any moments where I was thinking about quitting, for example, any, any, you know, um, and I think um, that's one thing I did really well, where I executed well was was on my nutrition. Yeah, nice. And how is that a strategy you've developed over time? Is it the um, liquid nutrition is? Is a new? Is it a newer thing? You neck was new for you in UTMB, am I yeah, right? Yeah, well, that no. So that is that's ironically that's actually something I used to do when I first started running. Um, coming off of road running, uh, using powders is quite common, and and maybe gels. And then as I progressed in distance, you you start to rely less on that kind of stuff and eating more kind of you know real food, solid foods. Especially when you're doing 200 milers, you're not, you know, sugar isn't sustainable. You get a lot of uh, spikes and crashes. And I think I overcorrected there. I went too far that way and forgot about the benefit of drink mix powders. Now, having said that, and I've always said this, and I still believe this, 
I don't think that they're a good strategy as your sole nutrition source, but I think they're a great supplement. Yeah. And that's what I did this time. So with the knack powder I was using, I estimated I, 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 I drank almost 3000 calories worth over whatever it was, 34 hours. So I estimated about 100 calories an hour. And that meant that I was getting a very slow drip of 100 calories combined with spikes of, you know, 200 calories here, 300 calories there when I take a gel, eat a bar or have like a bowl of soup or something at the aid station. But in those moments where I was maybe hiking and I'm tired and I, the last thing I want to do is stop and eat a bar, I could just be sipping on my drink mix powder and getting a little bit of calories in. And that helps at least to keep your brain uh, fed. Your, your brain is... Um, one of the smaller organs in your body, but it takes up something like 20, 25% of the calories you burn. Yeah. And so when we're low on nutri on, on calories, that's one of the first thing that stops working and we stop, we start making poor decisions. And, um, so I always say like, if you're in trouble in the backcountry, stop and eat. That's the first thing before you make any big decisions, stop, eat and think, assess, you know, make, make it, make an informed decision with food in your, in your system. And so I think that's where, again, that slow drip of calories does help to just you know, keep you, keep you thinking straight. Um, but I do think it's dangerous as a sole source because it can be easier to fall back on it. If you fall back on your, in your hydration, now you're behind on your food as well. Um, or if you run out of water, you can't drink your powder, right? So there's just, there's, there are some reasons why I don't think it's good as a sole source with, with a few exceptions. And that's for like road running where you're running a very consistent pace where the aid stations are very consistently spaced out. And the stage races I've been doing, yes. the one I just did in Georgia, are more like road races in that regard. And so I, I, I did do a drink mix only strategy for that. And without getting too technical, that's also partly because I was carrying my own food for the week. And drink mix powders are the lightest form of, of calories as well. So that was a little bit of a, a unique situation. Um, so I guess I could summarize all that by saying this stuff, I mean, the science is ever evolving, but also you need to be continually experimenting as well. And what you do for one race, one distance, one type of terrain won't necessarily work for the next one. So you have to constantly be trying and experimenting and learning new things and everybody's different. So you have to try it for yourself. Yeah, no, they're great comments. Um, with regards to your stage racing, because I would just love to ask you about, about that. Like we saw the amount of food you had for your Nibidia race and yeah. you'd, you'd obviously calculated all the calories and in my head, I'm like, is that really going to be enough? Like, were you hungry? Oh yeah. No, that's not enough. Yeah. No. I mean, well, you have to define enough, right? Y yeah. Enough to, so there's a, there's a balance there. It's too much food. It's too much weight. It's yes. going to slow you down. Not enough food is you're going to slow you down as well because now you're in such a nutritional deficit. So you have to find the balance. And so it's not, it's not really a question of enough. It's, it's where's that balance. And I think I found the balance on my second race here in Georgia. Okay. I, I had a little bit more calories. I was at about 16,500. And more importantly though, they were, it was less r r food for the run and more fatty foods, calorically dense foods. So my, my food was actually lighter but with more calories. And so I think I really nailed it. And I do have a video on my channel with my breaking down my nutrition strategy for Georgia as well. But my approach, as I said, I was using drink mix powders for on the run. It also was dependent on the fact that I could accurately predict my pace based on experience and based on knowing that for me, it was like maybe I'd go 10 minutes faster or 10 minutes slower. Um, I have enough experience to know that I was probably going to nail my pace times pretty well. So 
Whereas I think if you're new, newer to the sport, you have to give yourself more flexibility because if you plan for five hours on feet and it takes you eight hours, you've run out of food after five hours. And so there's, there's sort of, um, my, my, my level of buffer was a lot lower than I would recommend most people plan for in an event like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly thought, but I don't know that Jeff's got an, I, cause I, as a nutritionist, <laughs> I was looking, I'm like, yeah. oh, could you put some coconut oil in there, Jeff, anywhere outside of not, not during the running, but, you know, have those extra sort of fat coconut calories. Coconut oil would have been good. I did have olive oil. So olive yeah, oil yeah. is, I think coconut oil might even be a little bit more calorically dense. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, olive oil is definitely one of the best things. And then nut butters are a close second. So I had a lot of those and that's, I would probably even do more of that next time. Um, Yeah. That stuff's just great for, you know, caloric density and and for fats, which are important. Those macronutrients, fats and protein are really important for a week long event. Yeah, that's it. Right. And I also thought because you run for like four or five hours, but you also have a lot of time to recover. And I was just thinking how I would feel. And I'd be like, I'd really want some treats now. Right. There's Mm -hmm. a serious lack of treats going on down. Yeah. My, my first stage race was quite a few years ago. It was 2015 and it was similar to the one in Namibia, but actually a little bit longer. It was one in the States and it was, it was instead of 250 kilometers, I think it was 330, if I remember correctly. It was quite a bit longer. The days were a little bit longer. And um, actually, that first race, I did do powders as well. That was, again, years ago when I was still relying on powders a lot. And I, I went with the bare minimum. I was just under 15,000 calories. I was oh. like 14,600 or something. For the entire so just race. Over the, for the entire race. Yeah. So just over the minimum of 14,000 for the week. And um, and I burn quite a bit. I have a high base metabolic rate. And um, I... I was starved. I was starved the whole week. All I could think about was food. I was miserable. Oh, yeah. I was miserable. And in the end, I concluded that had I had more calories, I probably would have performed better. So you definitely have to find, again, it's that balance, right? And that's what's so fun about those races. It's an entirely new uh, variable yeah. that you get to play with and experiment with. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and if you have a preference for a race or an event or um, what is it, Jeff? Is it the one and done sort of the mile or is it a stage race or do you like them both equally for different reasons? I like them both. I like them both for different reasons. You get more from the longer races, I think in terms of a feeling of, at least I do, I should say, uh, this feeling of sort of learning something about yourself and, you know, you really go through a lot of highs and lows. Forget about, you know, bonking. I mean, you bonk 18 times or you know, you, you're bonking every four hours and you're coming back from it. And so, you know, you go through a lot of highs and lows. Um, but I think that I enjoy the experience in the moment. There's sort of that type one fun and type two fun and type two fun is the kind of fun that's like, it's fun in retrospect, right? Whereas type one fun is like fun in the moment. Stage racing is a lot more type one fun. Like it's, um, cause you're, you're done and that you can rest and there's camaraderie, you, you know, um, and more importantly, you're sleeping. Whereas, 200 milers, it's a lot of just zombie marching and, and you get miserable when you're that tired. Like that's really hard mentally and physically, of course. But um, it's also, I think, not great for the body, um, not sleeping for days at a time. Um, my doctor keeps reminding me of that. <laughs> and um, so I think that definitely as far as just pure enjoying the moment, uh, I mean, stage racing is a lot more fun. It's also more sustainable, I think, from that physical standpoint. So, but uh, yeah, there's something special forget 200 miles, milers, even just 100 mile, mile races, say a 24 hour event. There's something really special about running through the night and seeing the sunrise. 
And I think everybody should experience that, even if you're doing a race that just starts at midnight. I mean, there's something really special about, about running through a sunrise like that and feeling that sense of just rejuvenation where all of a sudden it's like you feel like a new person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah amazing. And Jeff, like you, obviously we, you know, mentioned that you, you know, 10, 13 years or whatever in running, could you have imagined that 15 years ago that, you know, older Jeff will be making videos about these, you know, miler events, 200 mile events, and this would be your life? Like, do you reflect back on well, that? No, I mean, it's hard to think now back to that. But it's, it, I mean, one thing I can say is that you definitely... You know, a lot of us, like we start by saying, oh, I, I, I love to be able to run a marathon. So yeah, you run yeah. the marathon and then you learn about that next distance. Yeah. And there's always the next distance. And in the moment, it sounds like that is crazy. I couldn't, I can't imagine running hundred miles or I can't imagine running 200. And now I just, when, when people say things like that, like, you know, I just say, never say never, because we all said that at some point. And so, you know, it, it happens incrementally. And you fall in with the wrong crowd. And by the wrong crowd, I mean <laughs> ultra runners. Yeah. And there's always the next thing where it's yeah. like, you think that's crazy. Wait till you hear what this person's doing. And so it, it, it just happens incrementally. And I think you, you, it's hard for me to reflect on that because you lose sight of where you started. You lose sight of where 10 kilometers felt long. I mean, I do remember my first, I remember training for my first half marathon. This is one thing I do remember. And the longest I had run was maybe five or six kilometers at a time. I was a jogger, quote unquote, back then before I really started running. I'd go up for the odd jog. And then one day I thought, you know, I wonder how far I can go. And I went 11 kilometers. And it felt like such a crazy jump from 6K to 11 kilometers. And I was so proud of myself. I, and then I thought, maybe I can go 15. And then, you know, let's do a half marathon. Um, that seems crazy now because, I mean, I can run, you know, a lot longer than that and that's where it's just it's not really it's 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 partly a mental barrier right and once you kind of so you just you push it a little bit each time incrementally and um yeah and eventually you find yourself running for multiple days at a time yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happens it happens and not everybody does not yeah. everybody does and not everybody should i shouldn't say that that's not necessarily natural but it, it felt like it felt pretty natural for me yeah. yeah, nice. So, Jeff, um, a few questions. Uh, strength training, do you love it or do you hate yeah. it? I hate it, but I think it's super important. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of the most important things, especially as an aging athlete. I don't love it. Um, I, 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 I love doing it. I feel really good about it when I, once, I'm, once I'm done. I get home and I think I feel really good about myself that I got it done. But no, I don't like being in a gym. I don't. I mean, I like the feeling of running, but I'm kind of lazy. Like, you know, I also like sitting, sitting around. And, um, I like being, I like being outside when I'm outside, but it's hard. It's hard for me as well to lace my shoes up and going to the gym is like, oh man, I got to like get in my car, drive and go work out and sweat inside a building. Yeah. Like where are the mountains? Right. No, it's the last thing I want to be doing, but it is so important. And I've learned that. I came back from a serious injury in 2021. I had a hamstring tear, a grade two hamstring tear. That's almost as bad as it can get. I couldn't walk for a couple of weeks, yet a long run. And it took me a few months of rehab. And so when I came back, say, call it around April of 2020, I've lost track now where I'm at. It was 2020. Sorry, that was actually at the end of 2020, uh, 2020 yes. that I injured myself. So this is heading into my 2021 season. When I came into spring 2021, I knew that I needed to change something. And that for me to avoid this injury coming back to haunt me, I had to keep it working in the gym. And so I started going to the gym twice a week, working with a personal trainer. I have the luxury of being able to afford that. And um, every week 
for months all the way through the season and it never was a problem again. And I've continued to do that now into heading into 2022. So, and I know I wouldn't have been able to come back and run 3000 kilometers in eight months, including a hundred mile race, a seven day stage race and a 50 K race all within that time with not a single inkling of pain or any other issues. Having had that serious of an injury, I would not have been able to do that without my strength training regimen. And I've been injury free since. And that's, I mean, strength training, it helps to eliminate imbalances. Um, as runners, we tend to overuse some muscles and underuse others. And again, as an aging athlete, I'm in my 40s now. That's, you know, I, I really need to prioritize strength and, and do less running and more strength training. That's really what it's all about. So, um, it's one of those things where, you know, I've always known that, but I had to learn that lesson again and again until finally it stuck. Yeah. No, I appreciate yeah. that. And um, my husband, Barry, he edits this podcast and he'll be listening to you saying that. And that might give him some more motivation to get uh, into the gym because yeah. he's like, well, I can just sit around for a week and moan and come back and then run. And it's actually fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but actually the strength training is important, babe. Yeah. And it's, it's to avoid the injuries, but also to rehab them. Yes. And, um, cause these injuries can just become chronic and just ruin your season and they can come back to haunt you at the worst possible time. And so, yeah. And so for me, like I have, I've got a lot of goals. Like I'm, you know, I just turned 41 and this is going to be a big decade for me. And when I think of that, like a decade, like I'm going to be 50 by the time the, the, my bucket list is huge. And for me to still be running into my fifties and hopefully still making films and telling stories and traveling the world, doing it, doing multiple events a year, not just one race a year, you know, I need to stay healthy. That's the number one thing is I have to avoid injury. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else matters. If I, if I get injured, everything gets put on hold and strength training is, is the way I, I, I will, I will do that yeah. over the next decade. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you say that with such conviction, there's no chance you'll have injury amnesia that will keep you out of the gym. You know, you forget about all those rehab exercises when yeah. everything's going fine. And then when something yeah. rears its head, you're like, oh, that's right. I was doing those calf raises, those, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. And that's where everybody's different. For me, it requires having, like working with a trainer, not because I need to, but because it keeps me accountable. I book those sessions six weeks out. It's in my calendar. It's more work to cancel it yeah. than to just go. Yeah, yeah. Whereas for me, before when I was going to the gym on my own, I would sometimes, oh, I'll push it off. I'll go in an hour. Oh, it's raining. I'll wait. Oh, now it's too late. Oh, well, I'll go tomorrow. So for me, I know that about me, that as long as I, I have it scheduled and pre paid, I'm committed. And so I think, you know, not everybody needs that, but for me, that's what works. So I think you do need to find whatever, whatever works for you. Maybe it's having a buddy that you go to the gym with, if that keeps you accountable. Um, the next step for me is to make sure, again, this is something I know it's a, it's a do as I say, not as I do. I know I should be going and working with my physiotherapist on prehab more often. I should be doing quarterly check-ins, um, getting ahead of injuries that way. And that's something I don't do right now. Um, I am getting better. I think the last component, so there's the prehab, there's the strength training, and there's the massage therapy. Yes. And again, it's expensive, but it can save you time on physio down the road. So massage therapy can also keep you off the injured list. Um, injuries are expensive. So we try to save money by not joining a gym, by not going for, for massage. And then we spend hundreds of dollars when we get a last minute injury right before a race and we panic. Oh, completely. So in, 
Invest that money up front instead. And one of those things is having a good RMT yeah. to work with as well. I, I love it. And yeah. I do know that you've um, you've got one of those little sort of theragun type. It's not a theragun, but it's yeah. one of those guns. I have one of them too. Um, I yeah. haven't quite figured out how to use it, and I've had it for like two years. Um, but I did. S- I'm still working on it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I, and then and then also a, a foam roller. Oh, I yes. use a foot roller. I mean, a, a stick for my lower legs. There's all sorts of tools and contraptions. It's I don't know that there's necessarily, there's no one thing that does it it's just basically acknowledging that you need to always be working on that stuff like all that you know always kind of thinking about recovery and and staying on top of you know well that feels tight i better do a little bit bit of tlc yeah yeah so jeff um we've got a couple of minutes left and i do just want to ask you about your 2023 i mean obviously you've just mentioned you've got a massive decade in front of you and i love that forward thinking that's brilliant Mm -hmm. uh 2023 you have a couple of group runs where you're hosting some events and i'd love to chat to you a little bit about what that might look like and um yeah yeah well this is a new this is kind of a new initiative for us where we partnered actually with two different companies on two different trips and one of them is a, a, a more of a hiking trip well it is a hiking trip to patagonia in march um, and that one is, uh, it's an eight day trip and we'll be traveling all around. Um, we'll probably go for a couple of weeks and maybe do something else while we're there, maybe a bit of fast packing on our own. Um, but that's a really exciting opportunity and, and we're, we're working with a guide. So there will be a, a trained guide. We're basically quote unquote hosting. We're almost acting as the travel agent in that sense. Uh, but we're going to add in some value added stuff too. We'll be going for some short runs and we'll be doing some workshops and, and hopefully adding some fun things as well. Um, I think the main thing there is if you've always wanted to go to Patagonia, you know, we'll put a good little group together. You know that everybody will be of the same, share the same values and things. So, you know, it's not, it's sort of maybe a little bit less risk that way of ending up with people that you don't, don't really, uh, to, uh, you know, get along with. And then the second trip we're doing is with a different company. And this is going back to do the Tour de Mont Blanc. So we're just about to launch this one. And it's going to be the first week of August, similar to what we did, fast packing the route. But we're going to take a couple of extra days. The days will be a little bit shorter. A little bit more time to enjoy the refuges and the company we're working with will also be providing some additional support so they'll be driving uh, the bags to each refuge each night so you don't have to carry as much stuff yeah so it's gonna be a really great opportunity for anyone who wants to fast pack the route again wants to go with a great group we have done this one before we'll have a guide but we have a lot of knowledge we can share as well now and um and you'll have great support. Everything's booked for you. They've already booked the refuges because you've got to book these things a year in advance now. So they've booked everything already for next year. So you just show up and it's all taken care of. Um, so that one is a running trip. Every day we'll be running about 25 to 30 kilometers. So you, you'd have to have the fitness. And that's something we're excited now. We're, we're, we're going to be, you know, we do make some money doing that. So we're going to be um, doing a, a couple of these a year. And it, it helps to sort of pay for us to get over to Europe. And then once we're there, we can take on some other challenges and do some other races. And it'll be fun too, just getting together with a group of people. And, you know, uh, we can make a film, of course, about, about our adventure there. So, yeah, so that's new. I haven't set any, any other goals for the year yet, though, so I still don't know what races and events I'm going to target. Um, I've got a bunch of things in mind, but I'm waiting right now to see if I get into the Hard Rock 100 yes. every year. That's my that's my routine because yeah. I wait till the, the lottery results. Yeah. And if and when I don't get in, <laughs> then I plan my, my, my secondary goal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. So fingers crossed I finally get in next year. Every year it's... It's the same. Yeah, yeah. I know. I hear <laughs> same routine. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I hear a lot of people yeah. say that. Um, yeah. And Jeff, your uh, 
who inspires you like do or yeah with your mm. with your running goals and and things like that so who do you look to for inspiration be it someone you know is it Audrey or is it or not actually you almost have to say yes now that I've just asked you that um but in addition yeah, to in addition to Audrey like <laughs> yeah. or yeah, I I take inspiration from a few places. I mean, I I definitely, of course, follow the careers of people like Killian Jornet, and you know, when it comes to perfor- the performance side of running, um, I, I my friend Gary Robbins is a big inspiration for me. And some of the races he takes on, are, and some of the events and the challenges he takes on for himself, are a little un- unorthodox. I like that as well. Um, but then I really love the stuff that say like. I don't know, the Scott Jurex and, you know, Ricky Gates of the world where they're doing either fast packing or, um, you know, trying to do FKTs on these long routes. And then that, that, that leads me into looking at what some of these through hikers are doing and, you know, people who are just trying to do different things. Um, probably my, my one person I would probably say the most would be Ray Zahab, who's a friend of mine from Ottawa, from Canada. Yeah. And he's done he, he started out racing. He's done a lot of the same racing, the planet events and things, but he's spent the last uh, it feels like a couple of decades now, just really focusing on adventures, on pushing the boundaries, running in virtually every desert and in the Arctic and the Antarctic. He's the, he does these multi-week, multi-month epic adventures that he puts together himself. The planning logistics are insane. And for example, he he tried and failed. He, he likes to fail. I mean, it's it shows that you're setting you're setting the bar quite high. He tried to run through Death Valley off the road. This isn't like the bad water race. This is right through the desert on the hottest day of the year, on the year that happened to be a record setting oh, year. Right. So he's in the hottest place in the world ever yeah. on record, trying to run through the, through the desert. And I asked him, I said, why don't you just go when it's cooler? He <laughs> says, well, I've done that. I mean, I've done that before. Anybody can do that. I want to go when it's the hottest to see if it can be done. And I just really love his mentality because he just, he's trying to just push the boundary and he's an aging athlete, right? He's, he's, um, I don't want to say how I'm not sure exactly how old he is. I won't take a guess at it, but he's, he's getting older. So he's, he's not trying to get faster. He's trying to just use his experience and his, his endurance to push the boundary that way. Um, and so I find that really inspiring and I hope to one day we've been talking about trying to do an adventure together because I could learn so much from him. Uh, so we have a couple things in mind that are sort of to him would be a baby adventure, but to me would be pushing my my own boundaries a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We all need yeah. friends like like that, don't we? Yeah. yeah. I follow Ray. Yeah. He is um I, you do. Yeah, yeah on Insta. He's amazing. Yeah, he's great. Um, any podcasts you listen to, Jeff? Um, you know, I actually don't listen to a lot of running podcasts and I do that on purpose. I, um, because I, I used to listen to a lot of running podcasts and I just, I try, I try not to overconsume and overthink about running. Yeah. I, I spend so much time running, making my films, <laughs> talking about running, hanging out with runners. So when I'm engaging with other types of content, I try to engage with, with, with different things. So I listen to a lot of business podcasts and kind of boring stuff, um, politics and, you know, um, uh, news uh, commentary, like podcasts, like on the media, and you know, Radio Lab, and uh, science podcasts and stuff. So mostly, mostly boring stuff. But uh, compared to to maybe running things, but again, I do that on purpose because I, I just don't want to over consume any one type of thing. I, I don't want to make sure that I'm still I'm, I'm into economics and things as well. So I try to stay in touch with uh, and, and be a well-rounded individual and not just obsessed with running. Yeah, no, that sounds smart. Yeah. Absolutely smart. Um, and favorite food, Jeff? 
Sushi, I think, would have to be it. I live on the West Coast here in Vancouver, Canada. We have some of the best and cheapest, most affordable sushi. Um, it's uh, Every block has a sushi place. We have some really good good high-end sushi as well. Um, 100% sushi, yeah. We, uh, we have a lot of wild uh, sockeye salmon here on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. And sushi happens to be my favorite food to consume during a race as well. So it's often it's because it's rice, it's salty and a little bit of fish. Sometimes a little bit of protein goes a long way as well. Um, Even just rice balls, like just rice generally is good when you're running. It's one of the one of the foods that they recommend eating when you have like an upset stomach, like food poisoning. Rice is one of the the things that's easy to to digest. And again, the salt from the soy. So, um, yeah, so sushi for sure. Maybe pizza is maybe a close second. I love pizza as well. Specifically, bufalina pizza. So uh, it's uh, like the pizza you'd get in, say, Chamonix or in Italy that has uh, uh, bufala cheese on it, bufala mozzarella. Oh, lovely. That's my favorite pizza. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, and finally, who drinks more beer out of you and Audrey? I can't tell. I think... I think per, for body weight, she might have me beat. Yeah. She, she drinks almost as much as I do, but she's a lot smaller. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we drink. We try not to overconsume. No, we I drink know. beer probably every day, but we try to have maybe one. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, or, or we go, we'll go. We have so many great breweries in Vancouver. Yes. Vancouver, at least for a while, was considered the craft beer capital of Canada. And uh, we have so many great craft breweries. Some of our friends own and, and run them or work in them. And, um, so yeah, we really are into like IPAs and sour beers and just trying new things. It's uh, kind of one of our favorite things. It, it's a challenge for me because I know leading up to a race, one of the things I need to do is curtail my alcohol intake. But when, you, when you're in a place like, you know, the Alps, yes. and there's cheap wine and good beer, it can be hard. Uh, so we try to we try to save it for the recovery phase. But yeah, I'm definitely I don't advocate overconsumption of alcohol, but I do think that. Um, you know, craft beer is something that's it's it's definitely one of the simpler pleasures, um, but one of the one of the things we we enjoy a lot in our lives. Well, Jeff, I'm with you on that. There's nothing I love more than a brewery and a tasting paddle or a flight or whatever it is that you call yeah. it. And then just a range yeah. of delicious things that you get to try. And from that's from right. a nutrition perspective, I think people are, are over concerned with the idea of having absolutely no alcohol in the up to a race. Because yeah. you still have to have okay. that balance of recovery from your training runs and enjoying the um i mean if you don't run for a beer why do you run basically well yeah exactly so <laughs> yeah. yeah i think moderation is a good yeah. th- you know it's a, it's a good thing to practice i um especially if you're training for a longer race i mean as long as you're staying hydrated exactly. and up um, should be fine. You know, you can, you can, yeah, it's, it's not, again, it's, that's the beauty of not training for say a marathon where every second counts. I mean, there's a little bit of flexibility here. So. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. Um, and we will pop, uh, sort of links to your, uh, your two trips, the Patagonia in the, um, UTMB or not UTMB, I'm sorry, the, um, fast packing. Yeah. The Tour de Mont Blanc. Yeah, Tour de Mont Blanc. Yeah. Well, that's the next one. The Patagonia one's pretty much sold out, but oh, the Tour de Mont Blanc you. will be launching now in the coming up in the next couple of weeks Amazing. So, yeah and we have i was just going to say too we have a new new newsletter that we're launching yes. so that'll be a way for people to kind of stay in touch and be notified of new videos so if you visit my website uh, jeffpelty.com you'll be able to sign up for the newsletter there that is amazing and um is it jay Pelletier in instagram is your handle is that am i 
Great. Uh, it's Jay Peltier. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jay Peltier on Instagram as well. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And then and then YouTube, if you just search me for me, you'll, you'll find me Yeah, there. absolutely. And we'll pop um, links to all of those. And finally, do you use a teleprompter or not? Because I did not think you did. You're going to have to wait to find out in my video this okay. week. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll let you get back to me to see that. What do you think? What do you think? You, you don't think nah. I did? I don't think so. Okay. I think you're too okay. you're too crafted and experienced of what you do. You don't need a teleprompter. But hey, well, I'll yeah, find out. Okay, interesting. You'll find <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Alrighty. So I cannot wait to be able to explore that part of the world. If you go to Jeff's YouTube channel and see just the like amazing content he has on there, and you can just see how beautiful it would be to fast pack and run in the trails in Vancouver where he's at. And apparently it is beer capital of Canada. So why wouldn't you want to go? So um, yeah, I really hoped you enjoyed that interview. Next week on the podcast, I speak to Art Green, who is a well-known fitness and wellness inspirational figure, if you like, previously of The Bachelor, and we discuss his career and his interests and passions, which are very aligned with mine. So that's an awesome discussion as well. Until then, though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin or head to my website mickeywillardin.com where you can sign up to one of my meal plans, the recipe portal access and also book a one-on-one -on -one consultation with me. Alright team, enjoy the rest of your week and see you next week. See you later.